If you, um, if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do, would you turn to Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3. I was planning to start uh, a new series this morning, Hot Topics, which I'm excited to get into next week, but um, a little something happened a week ago or so, and I just felt stirred of the Lord to talk about something different this morning, and so the Holy Spirit led me to Philippians chapter 3, and so I want to spend a little bit of time there, um, but we are going to jump into Hot Topics next week, and I wanted to give you a little preview of what to expect I really like to use this series as a way to get unchurched people to church, especially contentious family members and friends. So if you have someone that you've been really trying to reach out to who typically will not go to church, um, who has, you know, they have objections, but these objections are going to be part of the sermon content. It's a great way to say, hey, just come to this one service and listen to this one sermon about the very thing that you're, you're hung up on. And so these are the topics. Um, some of the, obviously, multiple questions came in, but I kind of organized them. Uh, Next week, we're going to start with Christianity and politics. Got a lot of politics questions. Um, And then Christianity and sexuality, which should make everyone uncomfortable. Um, I used to give this little PG-13 disclaimer, but the reality is, is with this internet age, your 11-year-old probably knows more than you think. And so you're probably just going to want to bring your teenagers to church anyway. Christianity and feminism, a lot of questions surrounding um, women, the role of women, and how that's impacted the church. Um, God's sovereignty and human free will, always get these questions, happy to talk about them. And then uh, vanity, gluttony, and drunkenness, that'll be a fun week. <clears throat> week five. And then uh, week six, how should we observe the Sabbath, why and how to read the Old Testament? So that's going to be insightful for the, those of you who have kind of avoided the Old Testament or asked those kind of questions about how do we interpret things. And then lastly, some, uh, some, some questions about prayer. What constitutes prayer? What's the gift of tongues? And and how to follow Jesus in adverse family environments. So yeah, that's what's to expect. Love for you to, to come, up, come be a part of that series, invite your friends, and um, look forward to getting that into that together with you. Uh, we've had a lot of people reaching out to offer their help for other people, and obviously we're right here in the middle of this unusual little season. I mean, just this past weekend, half of New Smyrna Beach and Port Orange were underwater. We've got a mix of people in Christchurch who are completely unaffected, maybe power went out for a half an hour, to people who've lost everything with no insurance and no hope and no plan, no car. And so there's this great disparity of, of impact. And so this postures us as a church to be able to help in ways that we may not have been able to before. Um, but it also runs us into where the lines are for what we can do and what we can't do. And so this is where we come to the Lord on behalf of other people in prayer. But we want to mobilize as many people to help as possible. I was I was so surprised and blessed to see how many people all, all over social media were posting pictures of just people from their church coming out to help them. Not just Christ Church, but other churches in town. Just a great testimony of uh, the power of God in transforming hearts and people going to make a difference for other people. And so we celebrate that uh, definitely. But you know that for the people who really suffered, the journey for them has just begun. And when all of us get back to regular life and they're three weeks into this with no walls and no uh, income and no car and bills they can't face and, and serious problems, a lot of us will have forgotten about them and we don't want to do that. You understand? And so we're putting together a little disaster relief team. There's going to be certain kind of phases of work from clearing debris to cutting out drywall to helping people move and getting furniture and clothes to people. And so if you want to be a part of that, um, there's going to be text messages and emails that are sent out to mobilize people when there's a specific need. And so you can sign up today at the Welcome Center to be a part of the, the Hurricane Disaster Relief Team. It's an extension of our care team. And so we'd love, if that's something that you want to be a part of, with whatever time you have, 
you'll just get notifications of the place and the time for the need for help. And if it works for you, you can be there. So please take advantage of that. It'll be um, really, really, really helpful and important. So Philippians chapter 3, I want to pray. Typically, I read my passage. We're going to kind of make our way through it. We have a little bit less time this morning than typical. But um, I just want to ask the Lord to bless the reading and preaching of his word and to really get to, to our hearts. So, Father, I thank you that, Lord, you are so eager to meet with us. Lord, you have a, a smile on your face to hear voices singing and prayers prayed. Lord, even those coming in desperation and, and great need, Lord, you you are so, so happy to spend time with us and to speak to us. God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are not silent. Lord, that you are the God who listens. And you hear every prayer we pray. You see every tear we cry. You know every need. And so, God, we just pray this morning as we turn our attention to this passage of Scripture. And as we kind of take a moment in in this, this little season of catastrophe we're all sharing, God, I pray that you would speak directly to each one of our hearts, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would open our eyes to see, not just in this moment, the way we're seeing things a little differently, but to see the big picture of who you are and what you've done and how that reshapes everything. And God, I pray that you would do the miracle of infusing our hearts and minds and lives with miraculous joy through an eternal perspective. Holy Spirit, this is, this is your work. This is the work of God. And so we appeal to you. We invite you. We pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So um, as you can imagine, last week was difficult for all of us. I'll give you a little window into the Jarvis household. Tiffany was asking me on Thursday as the winds were ravaging our, our soffits and our fence was blowing down if I regretted any of my comments from the pre previous Sunday about how a, a storm was coming and it was going to rain. <laughs> as I've mentioned before, in our marriage, I'm the it'll be fine guy and Tiffany's the one with the plan, uh, which works really well if you have one of each of those in a marriage. When you have two it'll be fine people, that's just trouble waiting to happen. And if you have two planned people, they just fight about what the plan should be. So this works out really well for us. So, um, you know, we were actually planning to, to leave town and be in Tennessee all last week. We had a vacation scheduled. And so we moved our plans from leaving on Thursday to leaving on Saturday because it was going to be raining on Thursday. And uh, we didn't go anywhere. Uh, we, uh, we lost power and our house was wrecked and we had water coming in, three rooms, and our basement had an inch of water. Some of you were like, basement in Florida, really? Yeah, I know. Yeah, we learned that lesson this week. Very squishy carpet down there. And um, so you can imagine some of the conversations that Tiffany and I had. I, 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 slept, I slept all Wednesday night, Thursday night actually, in the worst of it, um, which is really annoying to some people. Can you imagine, you know, you're going through just a life-shattering storm and your husband's just asleep? But I tell her, like, you just want a husband that's like Jesus, you know, asleep in the storm. I mean, I, that is like, that is something to be craved. That's what I'm saying. So I wake up to the storm having done a ton of damage, and she's been up most of the night positioning buckets to catch rainwater that's coming through our ceiling. She had brewed multiple cups of coffee and put them in the refrigerator in anticipation of our power going out. I told her, I was like, babe, our power's never gone out, and like five minutes later, our power went out. So the next, the next morning, I was like, thank you for making coffee. We have coffee. And uh, it, was just, it was just funny. 
So we have four kids, and we're in that season where we're trying to train our kids to kind of clean up after themselves and help around the house. They, they constantly make messes, and they leave it to us to pick up. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Any of you have kids? Um, and so our oldest is 13, and youngest is five. And so the older two especially, we're trying to help them to, to, to clean up and to also look for little messes and help be helpful in the house. And um, they're not doing a great job. Um, but, but in the storm here, we have, we have our power went out. We had no power for four days. Uh, we obviously, the refrigerator needs to stay shut. We've got ice in there trying to keep everything fresh. And it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and kids, like, to them, it's just exciting, you know. They're, they're just having a good old time watching the wind blow. And as soon as the storm is over, they're ready to go outside. And so they were just creating kind of havoc. And there was already a lot going on, a lot of tension. So I sat everybody down for a family meeting, which I highly recommend. And I, I told the kids, like, we are experiencing a catastrophic event. And they all looked at me, and Tiffany says, you have to explain the word catastrophic to the children. That's not a, that's not a typical vocab word for them. And I was just saying, like, guys, what we're experiencing is, like, something people will talk about before this happened and after this happened. It really stops everything and changes everything. And so because of that, we have, to, we have to pivot a little bit as a family. And so I need you guys to go into survival mode. So we're living in a house with no power. Um, we don't know what's, what's happening, how long this is going to take. We don't know who's damaged and where and what, what our travel ability is going to be and where we're, how we're going to get food and our store is going to be open. And so we need to minimize our footprint. That's what I told them. Minimize our footprint. So we're going to not make messes. We're going to eat at mealtimes. We're not doing tons of snacks. All the stuff that you're used to doing, we're going to do less and less and less. And we're going to pick up after ourselves and um, minimize our footprint. And so it took him a little while. Julian, he's here in the front row. He's five. He kept forgetting the word footprint. And, uh, but he was happy to point out whenever his sisters made a mess. Dad, what is, what is, I found a print. I found a print right here. Whose print is this? You know? And so we went, in, we went into survival mode and... So we were, we were minimizing our, our footprint. And hopefully that's something we'll actually keep up now that the storm's over. But, you know, all of us, um, it shared this common experience here in Central Florida. Maybe you're listening to this sermon from other, some other part of the country or world. Uh, but right here in Central Florida, we experience this thing together and to varying degrees. Obviously, our counterparts on the West Coast, Cape Coral and Naples and Fort Myers, uh, um, those barrier islands, some of them, just everything's gone. I saw this morning is 119 confirmed dead Floridians as a result of this storm. And so this is a tragic loss of both possessions and life. And then most of us have been affected in some way, shape, or form on this spectrum of experience. And so we're encountering this kind of rally to help one another, which is beautiful, which is just beautiful. It's something to really celebrate. And we're also recognizing that we're, we're seeing kind of like the best and worst of humanity. This is when all the power people show up and everybody's happy and you're talking to your neighbors and people are sharing things and people are helping each other. And then also people come in to exploit the situation and take advantage of people and to rip people off. And there's, there's, this, there's this perspective on display. But I want to take this opportunity not to really highlight the, the alternate perspective that comes from this catastrophe, as real as that is, but I want to harness that experience, and I want to ask you to consider a different type of perspective. And to do that, I want to look uh, at the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to the church at Philippi, and he's writing this book from prison. He's not only writing this book from prison, and he's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's not only in prison for preaching the gospel and writing this book from prison, but there are people who are now preaching the gospel for the sole reason of ticking him off and to say that we can do it better than you. And so here he is 
locked down, totally, completely imprisoned, unjustly. And what characterizes every word of this letter in all of its chapters is joy. 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 Again and again and again, he expresses his own joy, his reasons for rejoicing, and he gives the imperative to his readers that you ought to rejoice also no matter what your circumstances are. And so here is this prisoner's guide to joy. And it's a joy that is based in the life and death of Jesus. And so in a very real way, what we're experiencing is catastrophic, but the joy that Paul's talking about is also catastrophic. It's a catastrophic joy. And if you will put on the lenses that Paul is wearing as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, I believe it will begin to transform your perspective of yourself that will go far beyond your experience either of being preserved through this storm or being impacted by this storm and observing the help of other people. It will give you a lens to see the world that ultimately infuses you with miraculous joy. And that's what I want for us this morning. And so I want to read to you from the New International Reader's Version. I usually use the ESV, but I want to use the reader's version. It's the NIV for children and non-English speakers. And so it was designed with incredible amounts of simplicity for people who don't speak English naturally or for small children. But I think it's really going to help us this morning. And so (laughs) Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, be joyful because... You belong to the Lord. Here's the reason for your joy. Our joy is anchored, catastrophic joy is anchored in whose I am. Do you guys ever do this thing where you do this comparative joy? You know, I've experienced this again and again throughout this week. We had an over an inch of water in our basement. All the carpet was ruined. Baseboard had to come out, cut the drywall out. A bunch of stuff got ruined that was down there. We spent the storm getting furniture out of the basement, up this little stairwell, into the house. The house is cluttered with stuff. We have a pod in our driveway. I'm loading boxes in there. That We just renovated this basement before Julian was born six years ago. Now we're doing it again. We got water coming in, the ceiling in three rooms, the roof, which is five years old, is leaking everywhere. It's it's just so frustrating, and yet you see the destruction that other people have experienced, and all of a sudden your experience seems light and minute, doesn't it? And you go, man, I actually feel relatively blessed. And you can have this perspective from comparison that makes you feel better off than other people. But there are also people who literally lost everything and loved ones and have no one to compare themselves to. This catastrophic joy is not anchored in your experience as compared to someone else's. This catastrophic joy is anchored in the death of another for your life. He died to redeem us from the curse of the law and make us his own forever. We are adopted by his love into his family and filled with his Holy Spirit. He never leaves us or forsakes us. This is the reason for our joy because of whose we are. Rejoice! Paul says, because you belong to the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write to you about some important matters again, he says. If you know about them, you will have a safe path to follow. We took the kids out in the golf cart to see the damage, to survey the damage. And uh, those power lines down, standing water places, not typically safe. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. This is what we're telling our children. 
we want to have a safe, a safe place. We're trying to cross the streets. Power, the, the lights are out. We're trying to see some things. We're trying to be safe. And the Apostle Paul wants that for his readers. He wants that for you. God wants that for you. He says, watch out for those dogs. They are people who do evil things. When they circumcise, it is nothing more than a useless cutting of the body. But we have been truly circumcised. Why? We serve God by the power of his spirit, not in our own strength. We boast about what Christ Jesus has done, not what we have done. We don't put our trust in who we are or what we can do, but our boast is in the Lord. Do you see this? This is, this is important. Now, listen, I know most of you don't have Judaizers knocking down your door trying to force you to circumcise your eight-day-year-old son. You know what I'm saying? This is not what we're facing. But we actually do live in a world where there is, there is an impulse, a religious impulse, that's pushing people to an unhealthy and, and non-Christ-centered way of relating to God. I call this the deal-with-God dilemma. And there's a lot of just bad preaching that communicates to people in a religious-sounding way and from Bible texts that if you do this for God, he will do this for you. And if you fulfill what God wants you to do, his blessing will be upon you. If you do X, God will do Y. And it enters in our thinking as though we have some way of, of manipulating the outcomes. And one of the things that you will encounter, maybe you've already experienced this, is when things go awry and the world falls apart and you did your part and then you're suffering, you start shaking your fist at God. Where are you in all this? Why is this happening to the person I love? How come this happened to me? I did the things I was supposed to do. And you will encounter this in other people. And the reason is, is that people have a faulty understanding. God did not make a deal with you. Do you realize this? He didn't. He didn't promise to keep you from suffering. He promised to save you from eternal death, which is a much better offer. And it's not based on what you do for him. It's based on what he's done for you you got to be anchored in the truth of who Jesus is and who you belong to in order for you to not fall into this trap. And we got to be ready. we got to be ready to share this good news with people who are suffering and charging God, who are experiencing calamity and who are angry at him, who have this unhealthy expectation that because of the things they've done that God somehow owes them, and that is just simply not the case. And so watch out for those dogs. That's in every version. I like that. Just most insulting thing you could say to a first century Israelite. They're dogs, all of them. Now, Paul here transitions from catastrophic joy anchored in whose I am to joy that is anchored in whom I have. Paul here starts to talk about if anybody has reasons to boast in doing the right thing, he does. Verse 4, I have many reasons to trust in who I am and what I've done. Someone else may think they have reasons to trust in these things, but I have more. And then he recounts them. He goes through them. And in verse 7, he says, But now I consider them to be nothing because of Christ. Even more, I consider everything to be nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To know him is worth much more than anything else. Because of him, I have lost everything but I consider all of it to be garbage so I can know Christ better. I love this. I love this. I experienced a little taste of this. We, were, we had carpet in our basement, and it was very, very wet carpet. And it was nice carpet. I remember paying for it. Doesn't seem that long ago. And yet, as it sat submerged in water, 
And as we cut it into strips and rolled it up and carried it outside to the curb, it literally was garbage to me. I had no impulse to save it. It was worthless because of what had occurred. We had furniture in the basement, and because it was wicking water, all the legs on this particle board furniture started to just swell up and get all unstable. And we took all the stuff that was ruined and likely to turn moldy and anything that couldn't be saved, we put it out by the road. It was trash. It was worthless to us. But then something uh, really uh, surprising happened. Uh, some of our neighbors came out to rescue our trash and take it into their house. You ever experienced this? One man's trash is another man's treasure. You know what I'm talking about? My neighbor was like, I'm going to cut those wet legs right off of that thing. No problem. I'll set it up on some blocks. We are good to go. But see, we can do the same thing spiritually. Without the perspective of who Jesus is, his insurpassable value and worth, and what it means to know him and to be his and to be found in him, that perspective, if it doesn't, if it doesn't sink in to where the value of knowing Christ and belonging to him and having him as your own means that everything else you have in life is worthless in comparison, then you haven't found Jesus. If he is a part of your Sunday routine, you haven't found Jesus. If he is in some way in the back of your mind giving you some hope that you're on the right path or your future is secure, but all the things that you have mean more to you than submitting them to his sovereign care and direction, you haven't found Jesus. Because to have found Jesus is to have found catastrophic joy, a joy that is unshakable, a joy that says, though all beneath me fall away, I know that you are God and you are mine. This is the joy that Paul experienced. He said, I have lost everything. And we're going to encounter people who have literally lost everything, who have lost everything. But they can still have what is priceless and what can never be taken. There's a joy to be found in whom I have. There's a beauty in being adopted into God's family and knowing that we're his. You know, the kids, uh, it was very stressful those first few days of tearing out your own house and gutting things and throwing things away. And I was just making all these trips back and forth to the, tr to the trash pile and trying to have a good attitude and trying to engage with what I know to be true. And I'm praying and I'm talking to God. And I'm walking back from the road. I'm dirty. I'm frustrated. And I look up and my children are swinging and smiling. And I was just thinking to myself how free it is to just be a child to know that your parents are taking care of everything. And that's the joy that God wants us to have as well. That we fall back into God's rich fatherhood because we have been made brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 9 says, I want to be joined to him. Being right with God does not come from my obeying the law. It comes because I believe in Christ. It comes from God because of faith. And I love that simple, simple translation. When we listen to what God is saying, and he is offering us everything for free. And he is inviting us to place all of our problems, all of our troubles, all of our brokenness, all of our sins, all of our hurts in his lap to be taken away forever through the sacrifice of Jesus. We become recipients of God's rich grace, and we become free to experience his joy in all circumstances. And I want this for my church family, I want this for every person in my hearing. I want you to wake up every single day having received this catastrophic joy that comes from knowing God. Knowing that everything you've received has been a gift. And that it's come to you by faith. And this 
has come from God. Knowing Jesus this way changes our experience in the present. It also changes the way we look back, and most importantly, it changes the way we look forward. And this is where Paul kind of concludes. Not, not only do we find this catastrophic joy in whose we are and in whom we have, we also have joy in what we will receive. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ better. Anybody want to know Christ better? Yeah? He loves to use this kind of stuff to help us to know him better. He loves to meet us at uh, the corner of Wits End and My Rope Boulevard. This is where he always likes to meet us. You go, I was doing fine. I was on track. I had goals. I had plans. I w- everything was going to according to plan. And now sideways, derailed, ho- ho- rock and hard spot here. And God says, hey, guess what? I'm there and I'd love to hang out with you. Do you want to get to know Christ better? He's eager to meet with you. And oftentimes we come to him because we're looking for a change in our circumstances. There's nothing wrong with that. You can pray to God about anything. You can pray and ask God for help. You can pray and ask God for relief. You can pray and ask God for provision. You can pray and ask God for protection. As long as you're coming to him to ask something, that's what he's interested in. Do you know that? But there's something that shifts when you come to know Jesus in, in the way that is true in connection to who he is, into reality is that you are infused with a catastrophic joy that changes the way that you look to the future and what you're mostly interested in every bit of suffering is knowing Christ better. If I can walk through this and know Jesus better, this is why Paul's rejoicing from prison. He goes, I get to be a prisoner for the Lord. Do you see how he anchored his circumstances to his Savior? Do you see that? And he had joy in the midst of it, and that's what he's inviting us into. And that's what I want so badly for every single one of us to leave this morning with, to know that we will have joy in whose we are, joys in in what we have, and joys in what we will receive. He says, I want to know Christ better. Yes, I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I want to join him in his sufferings. I want to join him in his sufferings. What an unusual phrase that is. Because we don't typically think about wanting to join someone in their sufferings. Why why would we say that? What about this perspective has got Paul wanting to join Jesus in his suffering? Now, I don't want to in any way downplay the beautiful things that have taken place over the past week. I have seen people who have suffered greatly go out of their way to help other people who are suffering greatly, and that's a beautiful thing. I've heard so many people rejoicing in the fact that the church is being the church, and that's awesome, isn't it? Isn't it awesome when we can just go, hey, the world's upside down, no services this weekend, if you can come help, help, and people just distribute and go make a difference for people all over the community. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so we, aff- we affirm that. But, but I also want to remind you, and, and I have a unique perspective, Tiffany and I have a unique perspective, having been in pastoral ministry for 19 years, before this storm hit, there were thousands of people suffering greatly all over our community. And many of them suffering silently. Many of them experiencing petty judgments because they didn't have a good attitude in the drive-thru. Or because they were short on the telephone. Meanwhile, suffering in ways that you would never understand. You see, any, anyone who suggests to you that there is a road through life that can be devoid of suffering is selling something. I like the Princess Bride gets this right. Life is pain, Highness. 
anyone who says differently is selling something. It's true. The promise of God is not that he will save you from suffering. The promise of God is he will deliver you through suffering. The promise of God is not that you will never face hardship. The promise of God is he will never leave you in the valley. The promise of God is not that you can somehow skate through life and avoid all pain. The promise of God is that he has taken upon himself the greatest degree of pain so that we can walk through suffering with joy and life and light and be a blessing to other people. You see, the Apostle Paul understood this. This is why he could suffer with joy and he was eager to join with Jesus in his suffering because he's saying, I want to be a part of what you are doing. And I love this. This is what ought to characterize the Christian. Not just during hurricane disaster relief, knowing what people are suffering because you've experienced it yourself, but every day as we encounter people who are suffering in so many ways we can't understand. Brothers and sisters, it will give you a perspective in your own life and before God, when you begin to encounter the real suffering that people have endured and are experiencing on a daily basis, and it will temper you both to be compassionate and sympathetic towards humans, and also to be joy-filled towards the future that God has you for. Listen, suffering is a real part of life. And I'm not saying that we should in some way be masochistic and want to suffer and spiritualize it and, and, and heap it on ourselves. No, he, he, we're, not, we're not saved to suffer, we're saved through suffering. Do you understand this? But this is a big part of what it means to be the church. He says in verse 12, I have not yet received all these things. That is, becoming like Jesus in his death and the resurrection from the dead. I have not yet reached my goal. Christ Jesus took hold of me so that I could reach that goal. So I keep pushing myself forward to reach it. And then verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider that I have taken hold of it yet, but here is the one thing I do. I forget what is behind me, and I push hard toward what is ahead of me. And this is, I want to end right here, but I just want to invite you I want to invite you to really let God be God. And one of the ways this happens is when we stop trying to maintain control of our own future. A lot of us had some dreams die this past week. A lot of us had some financial goals die. A lot of us had some thoughts about the future and how long you were going to be working and when you were going to retire. A lot of us had all sorts of things that we thought were going to happen one way are now happening another. For us, it was small. It was some carpet and a vacation. But it died. And there's a grieving that takes place when you say, that is what I hoped for, but it's not what I hope in. Do you understand this? And so we look back to go, I had plans, and I did not know this was going to happen. Listen, on Wednesday of last week, I was still thinking this whole thing is a nothing. This is a, this is a thunderstorm, and we're going to be heading to Tennessee on Saturday. These are my thoughts. Friday, not so much. But if that experience is what affects my joy, then my life is going to be a roller coaster of highs and lows. And ultimately, I'll find myself frustrated trying to manage the future for myself that I want. And God's inviting us into a relationship with him where he becomes the one who manages our circumstances. But what we get to experience is catastrophic joy. 
Joy that changes everything. Joy that reshapes the landscape. Joy that's anchored in something so much deeper than, than our circumstances. And it's not because on a Wednesday night I went to bed with no problem. And on a Friday I'm powerless and standing at a flooded house with water coming through the ceiling and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage and looking at a community of people I love and feel helpless to, to save and to intervene for and not knowing what the future is going to hold. Our hope is anchored in the fact that on a Friday our Jesus went into the grave and on a Sunday morning he got up and walked right out. That is the source of catastrophic joy. It's in the death of Jesus and his victory over death that we have an expectation on what to receive. And Jesus, on the night of his death, he looked to his disciples and he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here's the good news, brothers and sisters. We not only have a God who has acted in space-time, in history, to deliver us out of a kingdom of darkness and bring, him, bring us into a kingdom of life. He not only suffered immensely in ways we'll never understand so that he can carry us through suffering and infuse us with his joy and the fullness of abundant life. He's not only done these things, but he has also managed to rule and reign and mediate on our behalf from heaven's throne and infuse and indwell every single one of us with the same spirit that brought him up out of the grave on the third day. That's the spirit that never leaves us. He is the source of our joy. He is the voice in our hearts. He is what directs us through difficult circumstances. He is what overflows in our conversations and empowers us to give away joy and love like we're made of the stuff. And this is what I'm calling you to place your hope in. Not, not in comparing your situation to somebody else's. But in looking back to what God has done for you and what you have received that's purely a gift. Amen? Amen. And ask Tiffany to come, and she's going to close us out. So I was sitting on the front porch yesterday, and I was reading Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read that, and I just felt like it was fitting for this morning. So as always, none of this is ever planned, but I just felt like it fit. Um, she was doing mission work, Elizabeth Elliot, and she had just translated a language, the, the alphabet in a, um, like an Indian language tribe or whatever, and all of her luggage got stolen. And she just was kind of asking that question, like, God, like, I'm trying to work for you. I'm trying to do these things for you. And this happens, you know. And, and so it was just really timely, um, I feel like. But she said, nevertheless, God's plan has to be carried out. This is a hard lesson to learn, and it takes a lifetime. And I feel like that's the beautiful thing about our faith is that it is a lifetime thing. And through each thing, through each trial, whether it's a mini trial or a really big trial, we get to count it all as loss because we know through every single event that happens in our lives, 
our faith is grown. It's built. It's what he does. And so where you get to the point where you're actually like when something happens, you're going, you're kind of excited because you're like, Lord, what are you going to do through me? What are you going to do in me? What are you going to do around me? Because this is you. Because you say you have good plans, but she says in it, in all these trials, she said, God began to teach her truths. She would probe deeper and deeper over the ensuing decades, multifaceted aspects of his will that could not be charted, categorized, or listed in an index. God's sovereign will was a mystery that could not be mastered, an experience that could not be classified, a wonder that had no end. It wove together strands of life, death, grace, pain, joy, humility, and all. It was a long time before I came to the realization that it is in our acceptance of what is given that God gives himself. And each separate experience of individual stripping, we may learn to accept as a fragment of the suffering Christ bore when he took it all. This grief, this sorrow, this total loss that empties my hands and breaks my heart. And this is where some people are at right now. They feel so empty. Their hearts are broken, but they will find Christ. I may, if I will accept and by accepting it, I find in my hands something to offer. And so I give it back to him who in mysterious exchange gives himself to me. The mystery and secret of our faith, she says, is not about outcomes, inspiring results, personal fulfillment, or even coherent answers. It was about obedience to the one whose stone she carried. And it's just that amazing reality that our faith is just God is doing a work that nobody, nobody but him can do in us and in our community, and I'm just really actually thrilled to be a part of this community. I mean, to see everybody going out and doing their part was really, really beautiful, and I just was, like, so proud. Like, God was just, like, so pleased, and that we get to continue in this work of helping to rebuild this community is really a gift from him, so. And if you don't have that joy, if it's not clear to you, if you haven't experienced it, God wants to give it to you now. It's not complicated. It's simple. You come to him asking. He's so quick to give. If you want more of his spirit, he's ready to give it to you. If you want this joy, if you want it in greater measure, he wants to give it to you. If you want to know him better, he's ready to meet with you. He's not reluctant. Amen? So God, I pray for myself and every person in my hearing. Lord, for those who do not know what it means to experience salvation in Jesus' name, God, I pray right now that as they sincerely ask that you would grant that request. Lord, that you would redeem them, forgive them, Pour out your spirit in them, making them your child. God, I pray for every person who's struggling with what they're experiencing. God, that they would come to meet you in it in a profound way that changes everything. And God, for those of us who are leaning into the circumstances and finding joy anchored in who Jesus is to us, God, I pray that you would increase that joy and give us strength and anointing by your Holy Spirit to be who you've called us to be. And that you would get all of the credit. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said...